This is the Milo Beasley Show. This is the Milo Beasley Show. There's only one thing you need to know. This is the Milo Beasley Show. And now, here's your host, Milo Beasley. And welcome to the Milo Beasley Show. I'm super excited for our next guest. Uh, I mean, you, you've you've known him from so many of his uh, his projects, such as uh, Tommy Boy, Fifty First Dates, My Spy, Heels. Please help me welcome at this time, Peter Segal. How are you? Good. Uh, do you prefer Pete, Peter? Uh, Pete is good. Pete, and it's, oh, and it's right. Siegel, not Segal. Siegel. Yes. Okay, so not like uh, not like the the kickboxer. not like the other guy who's the Jew in denial. Not me. <laughs> Pete Siegel, like the almost like the bird, but not. correct. Um, yeah. So, how are you today, man? I am just peachy keen, Jim Dandy. Right after yep. uh, Thanksgiving, came back from Phoenix visiting my mom and big sis, and you know that's a drive that. Uh, let me just say, I love electric cars. Okay, I love my wife's uh, Tesla, but the fact that it adds three hours to the trip is not great. And right. the, where you have to plug in, the nice thing is one of the places you plug in is Quartzsite, Arizona, where if you don't know where that is, it's a blip on the radar, but it's where they filmed uh, Nomadland, best picture from last year. So right. that's exciting. <laughs> and the Carl's Jr. I think Carl's Jr. has a deal with Tesla because every place that you plug in <laughs> is in a Carl's Jr. parking lot. Yeah. That's uh, that's great There's marketing. Needless information. That is great marketing by Carl's yeah. Jr. Be like, oh, well, you know, you have to park here. Exactly. Uh, so I, I know a lot of my a lot of my viewers here are, are huge fans of heels. So I, I definitely want to talk about that right off the bat. Sure. Congratulations on a very successful first season. Um, you. When you got into this, were you actually a wrestling fan prior to working on heels? I was a wrestling fan. I mean, I am. Um, grew up with some of the the big guys, um, Hulk and uh, and so forth. And then, ironically, I I started working with some of the big guys from Dwayne Johnson to Goldberg, right. uh, Stone Cold, uh, the Great Kali, uh, you know, Batista. Oh right, recently. yeah, yeah. Uh, and, longest Yard had. Half the cast. Yeah, yeah. Longest Yard is where I met, you know, most of those guys. And, uh, you know, um, so I've I, I been blessed to kind of peek into their world. I didn't really know what it was like behind the scenes, though. And and when I got involved with this show, that's what really appealed to me. It was it was really sort of like a, a theater company and uh, and a family running it. And so you have the the drama within the family and then you have the drama at the company, you know, with right. who gets more screen time, who gets to live or die or be champion or be thrown out and whatever. And uh, that I thought was, was kind of cool. And, and that had not been done before. A absolutely. It, it peeled back the curtain, so to speak on, uh, you know, everyone, everyone at this point since 1995 gets it. It's an entertainment, you know, thing. It's, it's not really sports. It's sports entertainment. Uh, but did you, when, especially when shooting like some of the action scenes, did you find yourself at, uh, you know, uh, 
find a challenge, you know, to to direct those scenes, to call action and, and cut at particular moments. Absolutely. Um, I've done a couple of sports films, uh, Longest Yard, uh, obviously it was football, uh, Grudge Match was boxing. Um, and in all of them, you know, you really try to find an authenticity. Uh, you're portraying something that people are very familiar with in those uh, particular movies. That's about, you know, uh, actual, you know, sporting events, not not scripted. Um, but you still want it to look, uh, as good as possible. And, you know, in football, you're competing against, you know, 47 cameras on a given night, you know, for uh, a football game, a network football game. And, you know, I only had five cameras. And so similarly for wrestling, you know, I don't have the same number as WWE, but, you know, I also don't want to cut to the back of someone's head because it's a stunt guy, you know, and it becomes very cutty. I'd still like it to be you know, as involving and again, authentic as possible. I'm going back to, you know, something you said uh, before that it is scripted. Yes. But um, as James Harrison said, who's former NFL Super Bowl champion, who's in our show, one of the cast members hitting that mat, you know, jumping off the top turnbuckle, that's uh, you can call it scripted, but the, the pain of hitting the mat is real. The pain of, you know, hitting the floor if you're thrown out of the ring is real. So, yes, it's it's an art. It's an art form. But um, ask Stephen Amell when he uh, fractured his spine, you know, in uh, the pilot episode um, doing a stunt. It it uh, it brings with it a lot of bruises. It does. I have a broken nose, two broken ankles, a finger that doesn't go straight. So, um Yes, uh, twenty-three years now. It's uh, it's definitely taken taken its toll. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, did you when you heard about heels? Now you were you were not the first director signed on onto this project, right? No, the the project had been around for a couple of years. Um, Michael Waldron uh, created it, and they hired um, a whole staff of writers and a director. And then uh, they had trouble casting it. Uh, and so they put it on the shelf. And he went on to win an Emmy for uh, Rick and Morty. And he went on, uh, you know, he started with Community, went on to Rick and Morty uh, and gained a lot of popularity there. Around that time was when he wrote Heels. I think he was in his mid-20s. Uh, and then he got super hot. He did Doctor Strange. Um and uh, he's now, uh, oh, he became the showrunner for Loki, and now he's writing uh, Star Wars. So, I mean, there's nobody, you know, hotter than Michael Waldron right now. But So they, they put the show on the shelf. A couple years went by, and they, they finally uh, decided to resuscitate it, re re revive it, and they cast Stephen Amell and Alexander Ludwig. And suddenly, you know, it became hot again. They called Michael and said, okay, you want to come over and, and now – we're ready to hatch this egg. And he said, well, I can't now I'm running Loki. So then Michael Waldron brought in uh, Michael Malley, who's a dear friend of mine. I've worked with Mike for over a decade. And so Mike asked me to come on board. And so at that point, everybody else had moved on to other projects and Mike and I were, you know, the new custodians of this project. <laughs> and so we, we started about two years ago and just got our second season order. That's great. Yeah. Congratulations. I uh, wanted to talk about that. So season two, um, 
you know, that's obviously a, a huge deal, especially, you know, in a, a streaming environment. Yeah, it's, um, uh, it, it is exactly. And um, we've been blessed with some pretty great reviews, uh, some of the best of my career. And uh, I think uh, eventually um, you never really know what ratings are in, in the streaming world. You know, it's right. not like the old days with Nielsen. You know, you had three networks, maybe four if you include Fox. Now it's like, yes, Netflix can tell you whatever they want to tell you, how many people tune in. But you don't really know. Um, some other companies uh, are very secretive about it. And so I don't really know how many. This is not really a streamer. It's on stars. But it. Right. it eventually becomes a streamer you can get it on hulu and all these other uh, apps um associated with stars but so we're happy to be here is there anything any we'll, we'll maybe make this a, a multi-point uh, part question is there anybody who you would like to see in the series and is there any direction any storylines that you would like to see happen in season two well that I don't want to give away. Yes, a lot. And I've been talking to uh, O'Malley about that. But um, no, I've, you know, uh, we had CM Punk uh, in last year. And he said um, to me that, uh, you know, Pete, if this show takes off, you're going to have a lot more wrestlers wanting to be in the show than, you know, than not. And so I talked last year to Batista if he wanted to do a cameo. And he said he'd love to. Uh, he was shooting in... Uh, Australia, I believe, uh, his HBO series. Uh, I'm just trying to get, you know, Batista locked down for, you know, next October to shoot My Spy 2. So, but if he has any extra time after that, yeah, he's going to come in and, and do something, I think. Yeah, so that's another thing I want to talk about. Uh, My Spy, is there going to be, the rumors on the internet are that it was open-ended. It Will we see a My Spy 2? Yes, uh, the, ironically, you know, uh, Amazon, you know, going back to what I was talking about, uh, with ratings and, and how many people stream things we asked, you know, how will we know if my spy one is successful or not? And they said, Oh, we'll tell you. And I said, okay, you'll tell us, but how will the world know? Because that's how people judge success box office, but there is no box office, you know, when you're on a streamer. And then it came out in, uh, uh, uh Forbes magazine that, we were the third biggest movie of 2020. Now that has a lot to do with the pandemic, right? Know, families that were locked in their houses with their with their kids, you know, there wasn't a lot to watch, and so there was it was uh, Hamilton, Borat, and then My Spy. So I mean, go figure. But right. uh, so yeah, they they awarded us with a, a sequel, so we're going to start shooting that literally uh, a year from now. That's great. Now again, you're working with with wrestlers do you find any challenging any challenges with you know uh wrestlers being actors or do you consider that a, a plus because they've already really been on tv for a number of years before they you know get behind uh, a different type of camera absolutely i think it's a plus i mean again going for that authenticity if you ask you know phil uh, cm punk to do a, a promo there's nobody better you know that knows how to do that um and, and what goes into it uh you know i would frequently and and amel is a, a sort of amateur wrestler himself and had uh, been in some match uh just on his own for fun and so i would frequently talk to those guys as well as luke hawks who is our wrestling coordinator and our stunt coordinator but um you know uh, 
What kind of move would you do in this situation? Uh, where is the valet standing? You know, how do you uh, take the mic? You know, where do you put your wardrobe, you know, after you get into the ring? Every detail. And so a real wrestler can tell you those things and can tell you if you're doing it right, doing it wrong. And I would just have no embarrassment saying, stop. Are we doing this? What's the, the best way to be doing this moment right here? And we'd uh, constantly confer with them, you know. Uh, that's great. At what point in, you know, when you were growing up, did you decide that you wanted to be in like the movie television, you know, industry? Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> no idea whatsoever. I thought I was uh, going to be a journalist. So I studied uh, journalism and English at USC. And then um, I, I tried walking onto the football team and uh, that only lasted about six weeks. And then when I got <laughs> cut, I said, okay, now I have to get serious. And so I got an internship at local CBS and um, started just kind of working my way up sports specials and kids specials and other things. And um, so when I, when I got into that, I thought, oh, this actually seems pretty fun. I think uh, as long as I can keep doing this, uh, this is a direction I want to go. That's awesome. And then your first feature film, Naked Gun 33 and a third. I mean, there are already two successful movies part of that, working with Leslie Nielsen, you know, an icon. Was there any pressure doing that movie or were you like, no, we're just going to go have fun and see what happens? Uh, hell yeah, there was a lot of pressure. <laughs> I mean, I was, uh, I was 30 and I had no idea uh what I was doing. But again, going back, I was just, you know, at, at channel two doing uh, a show that um, told you about things to do on the weekend. It was called Friday at sunset. And uh, you know, I was 24 at the time and they asked me to do a, where's the best pizza in LA, you know, a, a story on that. And I said, okay, uh, can I kind of have some fun with it? And they said, okay, yeah, sure. Whatever. No one's watching this anyway. So knock yourself out. So I did a black and white takeoff of citizen Kane. And that led to another piece the following, you know, a couple months later, which was uh, the best pool halls in LA. And I did a takeoff of The Color of Money with Scorsese and started building up a reel. And that's what David Zucker saw in addition to a couple of HBO specials, uh, comedy specials that I did with, uh, for Tom and Roseanne, that their friends were, you know, Chris Farley, uh, uh, Jim Carrey and Ben Stiller. And so... That's what sort of started everything. But so by the time I'm 30, you know, I, I'd never really done anything that scripted. A lot of them were sort of reality based. We're just kind of riffing. There'll be outlines for things, um, but not, you know, with a legitimate script, especially a, a feature length script. And so that was completely new territory for me. Uh, but I mean, obviously you have to work with with legends in that. Did you just kind of feel like, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna let them go? Or were you, did you feel like that you had to, this was your first, you know, film that you had to, sh you know, show them that you were boss? Well, okay. That's a sort of a, a, a loaded area. When I, when I got on the set, um, you know, I, being so young, uh, Leslie Nielsen was not the kindest to me because he, I think, was upset with Dave, uh, David Zucker 
for not doing the third installment. And David wanted to go on and do um, his first dramatic opus, Davy Crockett, um, which never actually happened. So I was left behind with an older gentleman who was not too happy that this young punk was, you know, the boss, as you mentioned. Right. And so it wasn't about saying who's boss. It's just trying to earn his confidence and his um, respect so that I can lead the troops. And that took a couple of weeks of, you know, definitely some headbutting uh, until I think the Sherry Lansing, the head of the studio, called him and said how much she was loving the dailies. And that made him relax, thinking, ah, OK, maybe this young idiot does know what he's doing even though I can, it didn't. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, but that, that always, you know, is the challenge of, of any uh, set that you're on is, is earning the respect, you know, of, of the actors. And as my hair changed color from black to white, you know, they realized that I had been doing this uh, for a while. And so then they relaxed, but really it is about the insecurity of the people that really, you know, whose faces are on screen and they want to know that they're going to be taken care of. Were you a fan of that type of like slapstick? Oh, yeah. Tug and cheek comedy. Oh, yeah. I mean, the first I, I was a huge fan of the Zookers airplane. One of the funniest movies of all time. The first two naked guns were unbelievable. So that's why, you know, when I was up just for a meeting, I thought, what? Uh, and I didn't know, you know, how to behave at a, a, a movie interview. So I'm like, do you offer suggestions? Is, is that blasphemous? You know, is, is script God, you know, that what they wrote. Right. Um, and it wasn't until like my fifth meeting where I decided to finally pitch a joke that I won the job. That's awesome. And then after that, you went on to work for one of the most iconic uh, cult classic movies of all time tommy boy working with david spade and of course the the late chris farley that just it, it seems like that was probably more fun than work uh no it wasn't uh <laughs> oh it was i had worked with uh, farley on the hbo special that i mentioned and then um a show called the jackie thomas show which was sort of a, a spin-off of roseanne uh, and he was dealing with um, his uh, addiction issues at the time. And right after that episode, he was uh, taken to rehab by Tom and Roseanne. They were good friends of his and they were looking out, out for him. Mm. Um, when I finished Naked Gun, I heard that there was a, he was clean and sober and there was a script that they were trying to you know fit in before the SNL season started again. And it was called Billy the Third, a Midwestern. Uh, that was the original name. And... Uh, I said, well, that's got to change because they're shooting Billy Madison right at the same time. And there was two oh. Billy movies based on SNL characters, well, not right. characters, but SNL performers. Right. And um, so uh, it was, it was, there was a title, there was a fade in and a fade out and maybe eight pages that we kept from the original draft. Huh. Um, and so because the rest of it really wasn't there yet uh, or very good, and so we started over and it felt a little bit like a newsroom, like we were just, you know, writing and sending the copy to the set. And so it was an incredible amount of pressure because we didn't have a locked script. We started shooting with only half a script. 
So uh, I, I would like to say it was a really fun, pleasant experience, but right. it, uh, it was scary and, and really hard. So how much of it was script and how much was improv? At, everything ended up being scripted. It's just okay. that we were sort of laying out the train track in front of the locomotive every day, but there was track <laughs> there. It wasn't like the train was running on dirt and improving. Right. You know, uh, it's just that we had to come up with it quickly. It's kind of like wrestling. You have a beginning and an end and you just have yes. to fill in the middle. Yep. And a little bit, ironically, like, you know, an episode of Saturday Night Live where you start on Monday with a blank page and you better have 90 minutes worth of material by Saturday. Right. Um, you know, so yeah. I think that's why, you know, Lauren Michaels was not phased by the lack of a script or the script not being in good shape. He'll, you know, he was just confident that you'll fix it. Make it happen. Right. Make it into a hit. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, turn. No yes. Yeah. It's easy. Paint it gold, you know, put it in the, put it in the Smithsonian. Uh, so did that end up, uh, leading you to working with Adam Sandler, those, uh, the, the Tommy. Boy yeah. Movie? Uh, I think, I think indirectly it did because, uh, uh, Spade and Farley and Chris Rock and, uh, Sandler were all sort of office mates. They, they right. like shared, I think, uh, Sandler and Rock shared an office and then Spade and Farley shared an office across the hall. So um, they became great friends. And so at, at some gatherings, I would bump into Sandler and got to know him through Farley and Spade. And then um, he was really nice. He called me after um, Nutty Professor came out and just said he was falling on the floor laughing. And and around that time, uh, anger management, there was, you know, uh, a talk of that happening possibly with Jack Nicholson. And so it's sort of, you know, uh, pinballed off of that but i think it all began with farley introducing us uh, that's great now did you now you said during the time that farley was clean and sober during the shooting yep. of, of tommy boy yeah yes did he met so, with his, uh uh his his priest every day and uh you know one of my producers on the show just escorted him there and that was his you know his sort of aa you know was talking to uh uh, you know, a family, you know, clergyman that kept him on the straight and narrow. Did you, did you ever find it? Uh, I don't want to say difficult, but did you get ever get lost in the scene and just watching uh, Farley, watching David Spade and then forgetting that you were actually working? Yeah. And it freaked uh, Chris out because I, I have what's been called Joe Cocker face when I direct and I just start, kind of getting into their dialogue, kind of willing it, trying to Obi-Wan it into a performance that's in my head. And this one time I was right next to the camera and Chris is acting in the scene and he just comes out of character and says, oh my God, Pete, what's wrong? And I just, I realized I had to cover my face with, you know, something just so that I wouldn't freak people out by like whatever weird contortions that I go through. Suppose I, I haven't stopped. It's just the way I am, you know, but right. um, it, it's so definitely. You, so you still do this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it, it freaked Chris out. Yeah. It, uh, in a good way. though. Now for 50 first dates, you got, was, uh, was that filmed in Hawaii? Yeah. It was originally supposed to take place in Seattle. And then Sandler said, why the hell do we want to go to Seattle? <laughs> Nothing against Seattle, but we could be in a warmer place with more sun. 
And I thought, okay. Uh, and it turned out to be, at, at first, I will admit, it was just a fun suggestion. Right. But it turned out to be a great note because the movie completely transformed with the location because it, you know, forced us to cast the movie differently and right. we had to rewrite it, you know, for the island. And it would not have been the same movie had it taken place in Seattle. Oh, yes. So then you, okay. So you had to completely rewrite the movie then. Yeah. Yeah. So somewhere out there is a 51st Dates that takes place in Seattle. Yeah. And it was the original title was 51st Kisses, but it didn't. The marketing folks at Sony thought that kisses would turn off guys. Oh, it's, you know, so we changed it to dates, which I hated at first, but now it's the only name anyone knows. So it's fine. Right. Now, uh, how, how often do you try to persuade your actors to shoot or the studios to shoot in Hawaii uh, since then? Well, it'll never <laughs> happen again. I realized you know, that was in the days when they spent a lot more on comedies the budgets were huge. And then in, in 2008, when the stock market crashed, everything changed. And now, you know, they're made for a fraction of what they used to be made for. So I don't see Hawaii in my future. Not no, really. yeah. I, I, I was Very there expensive. a couple of years ago and Sandler and Spade were there filming. Uh, I think it was like the wrong Misty. The wrong Misty. Yeah. Well, yeah, Netflix, the wrong Misty. Yeah. Netflix, you still get some healthy budgets, but uh, elsewhere in the world, not so much. Yeah. So, uh, man, I got to, you know, just have Sailor call up a, call yeah, up exactly. a pro or whatever. Or, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the only way I would go back there is if he said, hey, let's go. We can afford it. Now, I mean, you've got to work with a, a lot of great people. Like you said, Jack Nicholson. You got to work with Drew Barrymore, you know, during 51st Dates. Have have you ever really, when, when meeting one of these stars, been starstruck? Oh, Yeah. Absolutely. I, um, you know, I, I was working, uh, my third movie uh, was a comedy with Jack Lemon and Lauren Bacall and going up to them, you know, I, I was absolutely speechless. They happened to be talking about working with John Ford, which talk about, could it be any more intimidating? Right. And, uh, you know, I had to just, you know, wipe it out of my head. And I think my mother asked me that same question in the beginning of my career. And I said, you know, for maybe a little moment, like just tuning in, you know, a, a, a radio station, you know, it finally, I see their face and all I see are all the characters that they played in their stellar Oscar worthy careers. Right. And then it snaps back to the, the work that needs to take place. And now you're just working together. And then you can go home and say, oh my God, I think I just directed so-and-so today. And but there's so much pressure during the day to make your day. You know, there's over 100 crew people there. And if you have extras, it could be hundreds more. And, you know, there are bean counters there, you know, just looking at their watches and making sure that you finish on time. Um, and so you really don't have the luxury to say, oh, my gosh, look who I'm working with. Right. You know? Have you ever worked with somebody who was at the beginning of their career? who made it huge and you were like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Michael Pena. Uh, I discovered him, uh, ironically, on the movie with Jack Lemmon. Um, and every now and then we bump into each other at a local Mexican restaurant here in my neighborhood. 
And he reminds me, you know, uh, it's like, yeah, you gave me my start. I'm like, that's kind of cool. That's, you know? that's great. Now, yeah. if you were to pick up your phone right now and, and, and call somebody, who would be the most famous person that answered? Uh, that would see my name yes. and, and then click, okay, I'm going to talk to this idiot. Right. Uh, <laughs> it, well, it could be Batista because we're still, you know, uh, in business together. I think Sandler, you know, is, is probably one of my, you know, best star friends, you know. Um, I mean, he's a great friend, but he also right. happens to be a star. That's what I mean by that. So, but uh, we communicate. Uh, it's, it's uh, actually, you should talk, ask that question to my wife because she's a dentist in Beverly Hills and everybody who works with me ends up needing a dentist for whatever reason. They end up going to Linda and now... <laughs> She is the dentist to the stars. She has more famous friends than I ever, ever had. So you are the Carl's Jr. Yes. Yes. So, or, <laughs> or, 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 or would you be the Tesla? No, you would be the Tesla that brings everyone to the Carl's Jr. Yes. And by the way, the Tesla is her car, not mine. <laughs> yes. Just want to make that clear. So, um, yeah. So yeah, I think I think here you would be the Tesla that brings everyone to the Carl's Jr. So your wife is the Carl's Jr. So uh, yeah, I'm trying to follow that, but sure, <laughs> I'm trying to go somewhere. Uh, now and and you know I I don't know if it has been uh, a fortune or uh, I don't want to say detriment, but you've had the you know the, you know the, the pleasure I, I, I assume of doing um, re remakes. Uh, get smart, uh, longest yard. Is there pressure in doing those, or you know, are you just like I'm just going to do things my way, and we're going to have a successful product? Um, well, longest yard definitely was a remake. Get smart. I it's more an adaptation because it never right. been made into a movie. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of pressure. Um, a lot of pressure, you know, from the original fans usually do a little bit better when you know the, the movies are old enough that the fans have died of old age then who's gonna like compare but you know the critics will always you know keep you in tow um so yeah there's there's a lot of pressure uh but after a while you just have to say hey this is our version this is my my telling of this story and what i would say is you know um hamlet has been done thousands of times you know and no one says oh that again they go okay well look what's this interpretation of romeo and juliet etc and i think certain stories and i think that's what you know uh is is the task for a studio to determine what stories are worth a retelling and by the way we're about to experience one with the west side story so you know i mean Absolutely. i'm sure steven spielberg is feeling the pressure of that Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you got to give it to uh, Rita Moreno, who starred in, you know, film and or in, in the Broadway and um, is doing this film adaptation. I'm super looking forward to that, um, to, to, to watch her performance as Me well. Too. Is there anything, you know, like a, a West Side Story that you would like to maybe that's that's been on stage or a television show that you would like to see done? as a movie, either you working on it or just something in general. 
You know, um, for a number of years, I was trying to get the Jetsons made into a movie, um, but uh, uh, couldn't crack that one. You know, I, it was different regimes at Warner Brothers that understood it and got it. And others, I remember one time um, head of the studio said, you know, the 60s was not a very big era. And we don't really want to make a movie about the 60s. I'm like, it's not about the 60s. I mean, there's certain architecture right. that was inspired by that era that they then put in the future. Um, but anyway, it's 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 always a, a big debate. I think one day it'll it may get made, but um, that, that's just I'm, one. I'm example. on your side. If the Flintstones can get made, yeah, then I'm and on your side here. It. I agree. I agree. Who would be a good? I mean. So to me, a George Jetson, I, the, the first person that comes to mind would be Steve. Would be Steve Martin. Uh, yeah. I mean, Steve is is getting older now. I mean, you right. if he's going to have you know Elroy and Judy, you know, he's got to be more in his mid to late thirties. I think true. Steve is in his upper seventies. But um, so yeah, you know, look, it's it's uh, you know, so many people can play it, and I've talked to so many people over the years about playing it, and now they're you know, all too old. Um, so whoever's hot, you know, but I think that to me, this, the star of that movie is the movie itself. So you can almost have no names in it. And I think in my opinion, it would be successful. Do you, pref do you prefer working with uh, no name actors and, and watching the, the project blossom or do you prefer working with stars and, and using that to help push and elevate the project? Both. I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, people who have not uh, worked that much in the business or very young are just willing to do whatever. And that's great. Um, but at the end of the day, it is a business and you want to put butts in seats and you want to have people's eyes on what you're doing. And sometimes the best way to do that is with who you cast, you know, and the, the biggest star usually gets, uh, you know, that opportunity to have the biggest number of people, you know, tune in. And that's really at the end of the day, what it's about. Is there somebody who you, who you haven't been able to work with that you would love to work with? Um, still working on it, still working. Okay. You know, I mean, there, there, there's so many people that are, are fantastic that I would love an opportunity to work with. And, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just like that hamster on the little wheel, just, just, I just keep running every day and I go, oh, there's a star up there. Oh, I'd like to work with her or I'd like to work with him. Anyway, it'll happen one day. I'm just keep spinning. Uh, you, you mentioned, you know, uh, projects like My Spy that was done, you know, or not done, but um, was released during, you know, quarantine, during shutdown, during the pandemic. What did you watch during the shutdown? What did you watch during the, the, the time at home? I think one of the first things I binged was Ozark because I was behind and my wife and daughter had watched the whole thing and they kept saying, you got to catch up. And I'm like, well, what season are you on? And they're like, you know, they were, they were done and I hadn't even started. And so this just means I'm going to be alone in the TV room by myself. And that's kind of depressing watching a depressing show. But uh, I got hooked, and I think that was that's the first thing I remember watching. Yeah, have you? I, I I have to talk about this with everyone. It's it's the show that I try to push on everyone. But have you watched Ted Lasso? Of course. I I think of it's course. the 
possibly the single greatest television show in a very, very long time. Yeah, no, I, I very much uh, enjoy it. And that's another one that I was behind on and I had to catch up. See, I, I haven't caught up with Squid Game, but I will. But that's the other one. Um, but uh, yep, it's uh, yeah, it's a good one. But they make it so easy now with streaming. And it's not like, I guess Disney Plus still does it where you have to wait week to week. You know, where yeah. you're like, oh, it's a Wednesday night. Oh, we have to wait till next Wednesday. You know, the old television days. Well, uh, it's a little bit that way. Uh, Apple does that with Ted Lasso. And right. my daughter is a producer on a show called Schmigadoon for Lauren Michaels. That's also on Apple. And um, I like the way that they dole them out so that you have to wait, you know, till the following week. Uh, it, it does remind me of sort of the good old days of television, you know, right. where, where you build up, you know, a want, you know, to see the next episode rather than it's just like, you know, uh, a smorgasbord. And it's like all you can eat You know, after a right. while, just like, you know, stop me. I'm going to just keep watching till three in the morning. Right. Next thing you know, it's the next day, the sun's coming up and you're like, oh, well, yeah. And then it's depressing. Here's you smell, you haven't eaten, your dogs are looking at you funny. Like we thought we were lazy. Look at you, <laughs> you fat piece of whatever. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to do now is uh, a little mini game here we do on the Milo Beasley show. It is called the Milo Beasley show. Frequently asked questions. I'm going to ask you the same five questions that I asked to all my guests here on the Milo Beasley show. There's no wrong answers. It's just first thing that pops into your head. Are you ready? Yes. Question number one, who is your first celebrity crush? Okay. Now this is very specific and weird, but she was, uh, she played Chip's wife in my three sons. And then she was in an episode of flipper. And I had this fantasy that we got in a sleeping bag together and hugged. That's before puberty. So that's what I thought sex that's was, just hugging in a sleeping bag. The girl from Flipper. Next. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, I can definitely say I've never had that one before. That's a, that's a really good answer. Yeah. All right. Question number two. What is your guilty pleasure song? Um, I, I don't know if you call it guilty, but, uh, I'm just like a Ray Charles, you know, I got a woman, uh, it's like, uh, but that's that I wouldn't feel guilty playing that. So it would be, have to be an annoying song. Yes. An annoying song. Well, I'll go with the, you know, then the Carpenters, you know, uh, the, the one from Tommy boy, which I'm blanking right. on the name. <laughs> All right. This next one. Uh, is uh, would you rather if your life depended on it, would you rather fight a horse sized duck or a hundred duck sized horses? A horse sized duck, I would go with a uh, uh, hundred tiny horses rather than a giant duck. Yeah, yeah, I feel like a one giant like duck mouth. I don't know if you've ever seen the inside of a duck's mouth. Uh, no. But but I would not like to see a giant one. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. a pretty, I was once attacked by a goose. So, and it felt large. So <laughs> any, anything bigger than what I was already attacked by would be frightening. Yeah. Uh, our fourth question. This one's, this one's going to be very interesting. You can choose 
uh, one that you worked on or not, but what is your favorite movie quote? Favorite movie quote? Um, uh, leave the gun, take the cannolis. What is uh, I, that's on? I'm I'm picturing it. Please say you know what I'm talking about. Please, Milo. I, man, like I'm picturing Godfather. But okay, so okay, I wasn't sure if it was Godfather, or if it was like one of the other, um, like Casino or one of those. So it was Godfather. Godfather. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was like for some reason I was thinking Casino. I don't know why, but then. Uh, but I'm glad Godfather. I didn't say that. Godfather. Uh, and then question number five. It's a fill in the blank. If blank was an Olympic sport, I would win a gold medal. Um, <laughs> God. Yeah, I don't know what your audience is. Uh, I could go super dark here. Um, I, I'm just going to say um, farting. Like, uh, we, we'll get into it. Uh, are you saying like smell or sound like big, you know, Oh, can... catch me at a certain hour. And, uh, you, it, it basically the horn to release all the slaves from Egypt to cross out in the desert and the 10 commandments. I can rival that sucker. There you go. Class act right here. Didn't think you were going to get that. From all of my classy comedies, so you get a classy <laughs> answer like that. Yeah, I mean that is super. Keeping it classy here on the Milo Beasley Show. Classy. Why not? Uh, and our next, our, our next game is called the Milo Beasley Show. Frequently, or uh, the top five uh, Milo Beasley Show top five. Where I'm going to ask you a random question, no particular order. Top five. Adam Sandler movies that you haven't worked on. Top five Adam Sandler movies. I have to name five of them. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Four. Okay. Uh, uh, Wedding singer. Uh, uh, so well. Uh, 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 what's the Safdie brothers uh, one from last year? Oh. Um, Uncut gems. Un yes, Uncut gems. Yeah, I think won a ton of awards. Uh, I like Spanglish and, um, I'm going to go big daddy. When, am I up to like four, four? I think, yeah, four. Okay. Big daddy's so good. Yeah. And then, uh, Billy Madison. So what is next for you? Is it, is it, is your next project, my spy two, or you have something before that? We've got heels. Uh, second right. season okay. of Heels, and then right after that is My Spy 2. There's a, another couple of projects flirting, but those are the ones that are uh, sort of locked and loaded. Now, with a, a something like like Heels, where you're shooting, you know, let's say one of the ones in front of a crowd, obviously shooting takes a long time. Filming takes a long time. How do you, how do you keep... You know, uh, whether it's an audience, whether it's extras, how do you keep them engaged and up and ready between, you know, from take to take for this long day? So that way they are 
still up and cheering and loud for your cameras? Um, good question. I, I like to uh, take the mic, get in the ring and explain to the crowd uh, what the scene is about because uh, the extras, you know, are incredibly important uh, to the energy of what goes on in the ring, to the authenticity of the whole event. You know, when I get into editing, I don't want to have people yawning, you know, when I have crowd reaction shots, I want them looking like they're engaged and really, if it's supposed to be a shock and awe that they're portraying that, if it's totally rabid, you know, uh, fan that, you know, uh, they're, they're rooting for a particular person. I want it to look like they really are not just going, yay. And so I, I really try to describe, you know, what is the point of the scene? And there are a lot of times where I really have to, you know, explain a whole arc and, and range of emotions and then just, you know, hope that they, uh, they, they kick in. And I have to say, you know, we had a great group of extras for heels that ironically were the same group every time we used them because they all had to go through COVID testing. Right. So it yeah. was really hard to bring in outside people. We had this group of the, the max we were allowed to use, even though the dome, you know, held right. uh, 750 people, the max, uh, you know, safety wise that we were allowed to have in the room at the same time was 150. The rest we had to do with visual effects where we doubled them and put them in different right. parts of the arena. But it was those usually those same 150 that would show up, you know, to the tailgate scenes and the, uh, you know, the actual wrestling right. matches and other other scenes that needed, you know, large groups of extras. You'd see those same people. And if you, you know, <laughs> recognize, you know, a certain guy with a ponytail a lot, you go, well, it's a small town. They, they show up at a lot of these events. Um, but I, I would explain things to them and I'd really try to, you know, uh, treat them like, you know, participants and not just, you know, objects. Uh, right. and, and like I said, you get out of those extras what you put in. And so the more you include them, the better. That's yeah, that's awesome. How long does it take to film? Obviously, television is is different. How long does it take to film a season of like heels where you would be using these same extras and same actors and everything. Well, we get um, last year was 11 days to shoot a one hour episode this year. Uh, we may be only getting 10, um, but uh, you know, and, and so you don't, you, you don't shoot on the weekend. So it's usually, you know, a two week process. Right. Uh, that whole process was elongated last year because of COVID. And there were a lot of days that we had to shut down because of <clears throat> false positive tests or actual positive tests or injury. Um, and so the season grew uh, last year. Hopefully we won't experience any of that this year. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining me today. Uh, before we go, uh, where can folks find you on the social medias if they want to follow you? Uh, they can just uh, look up my name, Pete Siegel. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram. You uh, you're pretty active on the socials. Uh, Instagram, yes, not as much on Twitter. All right, and uh, again, thank you so much for hanging out with me uh, on uh, this morning. Um, hopefully, you're having uh, a good holiday. I think we're in the second day. Yes. 
Yeah. So hopefully you're having a good holiday. So yes. uh, again, thank you for taking the time and thank Absolutely. you all for, for taking the time to watch this on the YouTubes, listen on the podcast. Uh, if you see me this weekend at C2E2, please say hello. And uh, again, thank you for joining and we will see you guys next week. Uh, where's my outro? Thank you.